in the company of devotees. March 11th, 1882 About eight o'clock in the morning, Sri Ramakrishna went as planned to Balaram Bose's house in Calcutta. It was the day of the Dolly Yatra. Ram, Manamohan, Rakal, Nityagopal and other devotees were with him. M2 came, as bidden by the master. The devotees and the master sang and danced in a state of divine fervour. Several of them were in an ecstatic mood. Nitya Gopal's chest glowed with the upsurge of emotion and Rakal lay on the floor in ecstasy, completely unconscious of the world. The master put his hand on Rakal's chest and said, Peace. Be quiet. This was Rakal's first experience of ecstasy. He lived with his father in Calcutta and now and then visited the master at Dakshineshwar. About this time he had studied a short while in Vidyasagar's school at Shampukur. When the music was over the devotees sat down for their meal. Balaram stood there humbly, like a servant. Nobody would have taken him for the master of the house. M was still a stranger to the devotees, having met only Narendra at Dakshineshwar. A few days later, M visited the master at Dakshineshwar. It was between four and five o'clock in the afternoon. The master and he were sitting on the steps of the Shiva temples. Looking at the temple of Radhakanta across the courtyard, the master went into an ecstatic mood. Since his nephew Hridai's dismissal from the temple, Sri Ramakrishna had been living without an attendant. On account of his frequent spiritual moods, he could hardly take care of himself. The lack of an attendant caused him great inconvenience. Sri Ramakrishna was talking to Kali, the Divine Mother of the Universe. He said, Mother, everyone says, My watch alone is right. The Christians, the Brahmos, the Hindus, the Muslims, all say, My religion alone is true. But, Mother, the fact is that nobody's watch is right. Who can truly understand thee? But if a man prays to thee with a yearning heart, he can reach thee through thy grace by any path. Mother, show me sometime how the Christians pray to thee in their churches. But mother, what will people say if I go in? Suppose they make a fuss. Suppose they don't allow me to enter the Kali temple again. 
Well then, show me the Christian worship from the door of the church. Another day, the master was seated on the small couch in his room, with his usual beaming countenance. M arrived with Kali Krishna, who did not know where his friend M was taking him. He had only been told, If you want to see a grog shop, then come with me. You will see a huge jar of wine there. M related this to Sri Ramakrishna, who laughed about it. The master said, The bliss of worship and communion with God is the true wine, the wine of ecstatic love. The goal of human life is to love God. Bhakti is the one essential thing. To know God through jnana and reasoning is extremely difficult. Then the master sang, Who is there that can understand what Mother Kali is? Even the six darshanas are powerless to reveal her. The master said again, The one goal of life is to cultivate love for God, the love that the milkmaids, the milkmen and the cowherd boys of Vrindavan felt for Krishna. When Krishna went away to Mathura, the cowherds roamed about weeping bitterly because of their separation from him. Saying this, the master sang with his eyes turned upward. Just now I saw a youthful cowherd with a young calf in his arms. There he stood, by one hand holding the branch of a young tree. Where are you, brother Karnai? he cried. But Karnai scarcely could he utter. Kar was as much as he could say. He cried, Where are you, brother? And his eyes were filled with tears. When M heard this song of the masters, laden with love, his eyes were moist with tears. April the 2nd, 1882 Sri Ramakrishna was sitting in the drawing room of Keshab Chandra Sen's house in Calcutta. It was five o'clock in the afternoon. When Keshab was told of his arrival, he came to the drawing room dressed to go out, for he was about to call on a sick friend. Now he cancelled his plan. The master said to him, You have so many things to attend to. Besides, you have to edit a newspaper. You have no time to come to Dakshineshwar, so I have come to see you. When I heard of your illness, I vowed green coconut and sugar to the Divine Mother for your recovery. I said to her, Mother, if something happens to Keshab, with whom shall I talk in Calcutta? Sri Ramakrishna spoke to Pratap 
and other Brahmo devotees. M was seated nearby. Pointing to him, the master said to Keshab, Would you please ask him why he doesn't come to Dakshineshwar anymore? He repeatedly tells me he is not attached to his wife and children. M had been paying visits to the master for about a month. His absence, for a time, from Dakshineshwar called forth this remark. Sri Ramakrishna had asked M to write to him if his coming were delayed. Pandit Samadhyayi was present. The Brahmo devotees introduced him to Sri Ramakrishna as a scholar well versed in the Vedas and the other scriptures. The master said, Yes, I can see inside him through his eyes, as one can see the objects in a room through the glass door. Trilokya sang. Suddenly the master stood up and went into Samadhi, repeating the mother's name. Coming down a little to the plane of sense consciousness, he danced and sang. I drink no ordinary wine, but wine of everlasting bliss, as I repeat my mother Kali's name. It so intoxicates my mind that people take me to be drunk. First, my guru gives molasses for the making of the wine. My longing is the ferment to transform it. Knowledge, the maker of the wine, prepares it for me then, and when it is done, my mind imbibes it from the bottle of the mantra, taking the mother's name to make it pure. Drink of this wine, says Ramprasad, and the four fruits of life are yours. The master looked at Keshab tenderly, as if Keshab were his very own. He seemed to fear that Keshab might belong to someone else, that is to say, that he might become a worldly person. Looking at him, the master sang again, We are afraid to speak, and yet we are afraid to keep still. Our minds, O Radha, half believe that we are about to lose you, we tell you the secret that we know, the secret whereby we ourselves and others with our help have passed through many a time of peril. Now it all depends on you. Quoting the last part of the song, he said to Keshab, that is to say, renounce everything and call on God. He alone is real. All else is illusory. Without the realization of God, everything is futile. This is the great secret. The master sat down again and began to converse with the devotees. For a while he listened to a piano recital, enjoying it like a child. Then he was taken to the inner apartments, where he was served with refreshments and the ladies saluted him. 
As the master was leaving Keshab's house, the Brahmo devotees accompanied him respectfully to his carriage. Sunday, April the 9th, 1882 Sri Ramakrishna was seated with his devotees in the drawing room of Prankrishna Mukherjee's house in Calcutta. It was between one and two o'clock in the afternoon. Since Colonel Vishwanath lived in that neighbourhood, the master intended to visit him before going to see Keshab at the Lily Cottage. A number of neighbours and other friends of Prankrishna had been invited to meet Sri Ramakrishna. They were all eager to hear his words. Master, God and his glory, this universe is his glory. People see his glory and forget everything. They do not seek God, whose glory is this world. All seek to enjoy woman and gold, but there is too much misery and worry in that. This world is like the whirlpool of the Vishalakshi. Once a boat gets into it, there is no hope of its rescue. Again, the world is like a thorny bush. You have hardly freed yourself from one set of thorns before you find yourself entangled in another. Once you enter a labyrinth, you find it very difficult to get out. Living in the world, a man becomes seared, as it were. A devotee. Then what is the way, sir? Master. Prayer and the company of holy men. You cannot get rid of an ailment without the help of a physician but it is not enough to be in the company of religious people only for a day. You should constantly seek it, for the disease has become chronic. Again, you can't understand the pulse rightly unless you live with a physician. Moving with him constantly, you learn to distinguish between the pulse of phlegm and the pulse of bile. Devotee What is the good of holy company? Master It begets yearning for God. It begets love of God. Nothing whatsoever is achieved in spiritual life without yearning. By constantly living in the company of holy men, the soul becomes restless for God. This yearning is like the state of mind of a man who has someone ill in the family. His mind is in a state of perpetual restlessness, thinking how the sick person may be cured. Or again, one should feel a yearning for God like the yearning of a man who has lost his job and is wandering from one office to another in search of work. 
If he is rejected at a certain place, which has no vacancy, he goes there again the next day and inquires, Is there any vacancy today? There is another way. Earnestly praying to God. God is our very own. We should say to him, O God, what is thy nature? Reveal thyself to me. Thou must show thyself to me. For why else hast thou created me? Some Sikh devotees once said to me, God is full of compassion. I said, But why should we call him compassionate? He is our creator. What is there to be wondered at if he is kind to us? Parents bring up their children. Do you call that an act of kindness? They must act that way. Therefore, we should force our demands on God. He is our father and mother, isn't he? If a son demands his patrimony and gives up food and drink in order to enforce his demand, then the parents hand his share over to him three years before the legal time. Or when the child demands some paisa from his mother and says over and over again, Mother, give me a couple of paisa, I beg you on my knees. Then the mother, seeing his earnestness and unable to bear it any more, tosses the money to him. There is another benefit from holy company. It helps one cultivate discrimination between the real and the unreal. God alone is the real, that is to say, the eternal substance, and the world is unreal, that is to say, transitory. As soon as a man finds his mind wandering away to the unreal, he should apply discrimination. The moment an elephant stretches out its trunk to eat the plantain tree in a neighbour's garden, it gets a blow from the iron goad of the driver. A neighbour. Why does a man have sinful tendencies? Master. In God's creation, there are all sorts of things. He has created bad men as well as good men. It is he who gives us good tendencies. And it is he again who gives us evil tendencies. Neighbour. In that case, we aren't responsible for our sinful actions, are we? Master. Sin begets its own results. This is God's law. Won't you burn your tongue if you chew a chilli? In his youth, Mator led a rather fast life, so he suffered from various diseases before his death. One may not realise this in youth. I have looked into the hearth in the kitchen of the Kali temple when logs are being burnt. At first, 
the wet wood burns rather well. It doesn't seem then that it contains much moisture. But when the wood is sufficiently burnt, all the moisture runs back to one end. At last, water squirts from the fuel and puts out the fire. So one should be careful about anger, passion and greed. Take for instance the case of Hanuman. In a fit of anger, he burnt Ceylon. At last, he remembered that Sita was living in the Ashoka grove. Then he began to tremble, lest the fire should injure her. Neighbour Why has God created wicked people? Master That is his will, his play. In his maya, there exists avidya as well as vidya. Darkness is needed too. It reveals all the more the glory of light. There is no doubt that anger, lust and greed are evils. Why then has God created them? In order to create saints. A man becomes a saint by conquering the senses. Is there anything impossible for a man who has subdued his passions? He can even realize God through his grace. Again, see how his whole play of creation is perpetuated through lust. Wicked people are needed too. At one time, the tenants of an estate became unruly. The landlord had to send Golak Chowdhury, who was a ruffian. He was such a harsh administrator that the tenants trembled at the very mention of his name. There is need of everything. Once Sita said to her husband, Rama, it would be very grand if every house in Ayodhya were a mansion. I find many houses old and dilapidated. But my dear, said Rama, if all the houses were beautiful ones, what would the masons do? Laughter. God has created all kinds of things. He has created good trees and poisonous plants and weeds as well. Among the animals there are good, bad and all kinds of creatures, tigers, lions, snakes and so on. Neighbour Sir, is it ever possible to realise God while leading the life of a householder? Master, certainly. But as I said just now, one must live in holy company and pray unceasingly. One should weep for God. When the impurities of the mind are thus washed away, one realises God. 
The mind is like a needle covered with mud, and God is like a magnet. The needle cannot be united with the magnet unless it is free from mud. Tears wash away the mud, which is nothing but lust, anger, greed, and other evil tendencies. And the inclination to worldly enjoyments as well. As soon as the mud is washed away, the magnet attracts the needle. That is to say, man realizes God. Only the pure in heart see God. A fever patient has an excess of the watery element in his system. What can quinine do for him, unless that is removed? Why shouldn't one realize God while living in the world? But as I said, one must live in holy company, pray to God, weeping for His grace, and now and then go into solitude. Unless the plants on a footpath are protected at first. By fences, they are destroyed by cattle. Neighbor, then householders too will have the vision of God, won't they? Master, everybody will surely be liberated, but one should follow the instructions of the guru. If one follows a devious path, one will suffer in trying to retrace one's steps. It takes a long time to achieve liberation. A man may fail to obtain it in this life. Perhaps he will realize God only after many births. Sages like Janaka performed worldly duties. They performed them, bearing God in their minds, as a dancing girl dances, keeping jars or trays on her head. Haven't you seen how the women in Northwest India walk, talking and laughing, while carrying water pitchers on their heads? Neighbor, you just referred to the instructions of the Guru. How shall we find him? Master, anyone and everyone cannot be a Guru. A huge timber floats on the water. And can carry animals as well. But a piece of worthless wood sinks if a man sits on it and drowns him. Therefore, in every age, God incarnates Himself as the Guru to teach humanity. Sat Chitananda alone is the Guru. What is knowledge, and what is the nature of this ego? God alone is the doer, and none else. That is knowledge. I am not the doer; I am a mere instrument in His hand. Therefore, I say, O Mother, Thou art the operator, and I am the machine. Thou art the indweller, and I am the house. Thou art the driver, and I am the carriage. 
I move as thou movest me. I do as thou makest me do. I speak as thou makest me speak. Not I, not I, but thou, but thou. From Prankrishna's house, the master went to Colonel Vishwanath's, and from there to the lily cottage. <laughs>